Thank you for joining Sumter Chapel's weekly podcast. We hope that this message encourages you and speaks life to your spirit. As always, we pray that this podcast will further God's kingdom by seeing one more made new. Now, let's get started with today's message. There are just certain realities in the world that are just deeper than surface level, right? They're not just things you can... Um, muster up. They're not just things that are, are on the surface that you learn. A lot of things we learn are on the surface. It's not that they're bad, they're just on the surface. So like how to manage money is a surface level reality ultimately. The issue of greed goes below the surface. So managing money is not the same thing as dealing with greed. Those are two different things. You can learn how to manage money and still be greedy, but you can have a deeper understanding of why money is not your God, i.e. not be greedy, and also be good at managing your money. And so there's just things that go below the surface. And last week, we looked at the passage about the Holy Spirit coming upon the disciples in chapter 2 and, and it being like flames of tongue and how they, flames of fire, tongues of fire, and how they began to speak these languages and that the crowds thought that they were drunk. And Peter had to correct them, right? They're not drunk. This is the Holy Spirit showing up. And we talked about how the, our culture, specifically in America, doesn't know what to do with kind of these miraculous spiritual occurrences. We just don't have a really good category for it. We're very scientific. We're very Western. So if we can't explain it, we struggle with it. And we can't explain these miraculous things that happen when doctors get patients that come in and they're healed. And it's a miracle. They don't know what to do with it. A doctor, even a, a doctor that's a believer still is struggling at that moment of just like, goodness, Lord, like you healed this person. There's no medical explanation for why they all of a sudden now don't have what they had before. So our struggle in our culture is real about that. It's also real about these other deeper spiritual realities to life that I think we struggle with talking about and explaining. The best a lot of the times our culture knows what to do with it is to talk about these things as like character traits or they talk about these deeper spiritualities as like emotions sometimes, but they don't, they don't know how to deal with the deeper parts of life a lot of the times. So things like love or integrity or sacrifice or um, hope, joy, peace, these really deep things only most of the time get talked about in actually kind of surface level ways because our culture doesn't have a really good category for something deeper than surface level. Um, some cultures, there's spirituality just built into them, like in India and with Hinduism. There's kind of a spirituality just built into their culture, so they'll talk about deeper spirituality just in their culture just in, in their everyday language. But in the West, we've, our, we don't have like a spirituality built into our culture. We're more scientific and intellectual. And so the deeper spiritual things we struggle with, right? Intellectuals like C.S. Lewis, that's why his writing is so powerful, is because he's an intellectual that learned how to struggle with the deeper, deeper realities of life and to kind of own that he couldn't explain a lot of them, but that they were real that they were still real. So the idea of love, it's not an emotion, but most of our culture, that's how it gets handled, as an emotion. But it's not. We know that that's not true. We know there's something deeper to love than just emotion or attraction. Um, 
joy. We know joy is not the same thing as happiness, but for most of our culture, they equate the two. They don't understand the idea of joy, something that gets you through even the most difficult seasons of life without you giving up because you have this deep sense of joy with happiness, experiential happiness. And so that's why most of the younger generation, it's a result of our culture working itself out over generations. Most of the younger generation, they're looking for every high they can get, every experiential happiness high they can get, or they're completely disillusioned, right? And they give up. And this is where suicide, why suicide's so high, right? Because it's like, I'll never have happiness. True happiness is how our culture talks about it. Well, that's joy. True happiness is joy. It's a deep-seated joy where you enjoy life even when it's hard. You find ways to enjoy life. That's joy. That's not happiness. Happiness comes and goes. And so these deeper spiritual realities are tough for us as Westerners and as Americans to, to really grapple with because we typically don't have a category for them in our culture, and the only place we interact with them is as Christians in the scriptures and in, and in the spiritual life that we have in Christ. And we don't get it anywhere else in our culture. Uh, we don't get these conversations or these discussions about these deeper realities to life. That we need something more than just like personal profession professional development or personal social development those things are fine but there's something there's a transformation that has to happen at a deeper level there there's a growth that has to happen at a deeper level that our culture just doesn't know what to do with and we know as believers we know that that's a transformation that only comes through faith in Christ and that only happens because of the presence of God's spirit in our life that God's spirit begins to transform us, to make us new, into a new creation. And, and he makes us into a new creation that imitates Jesus. So we become made new and we become like Jesus. Like that's the goal of faith. And, and so in this series that we've been in, on the Holy Spirit, we're seeing that not only does the Holy Spirit show up in kind of these miraculous ways that don't happen very often, but they happen, they occur, something miraculous happens. The Holy Spirit wants to work in our life in consistent ways, behind the scenes or at a deeper level, consistently to develop things about us, traits about us. And one part of the scripture calls it the fruits of the Spirit, right? So the Holy Spirit wants to work to develop these traits that are spiritual. They're spiritual traits. They're not developed anywhere else in our life. Only the presence of God over periods of time can develop these things within us and they don't just happen overnight this passage acts chapter 5 in a very interesting way will show us that it seems like a very odd passage to teach on period why would you want to teach on this passage at all because it kind of is a difficult passage but then it feels like an odd passage for father's day but funny enough it's not it's not an odd passage to connect to talking about what it means to be a father so I'm going to read Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, and then we'll just unpack it a little more. So this is what it says in Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 1. But there was a certain man named Ananias, who with his wife, Sapphira, sold some property. He bought part, brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit 
and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell, as you wished. And after selling it, the money was yours to give it, was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell on the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out to be buried. After three hours, or about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, How could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your words that teach us and challenge us, and we just ask that you would remind us in these moments that as odd as this story is to read, it's a powerful story about your spirit, the power of your spirit, and really your desire for us to become who you desire us to be, the people you desire us to be, people who are like Christ in our actions and in our words. So we ask that through it we would learn a lesson from those that have gone before us and that we would allow your spirit to work in our lives in such a way that we become more like Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So this passage causes everyone to kind of take a step back after you read it because it's just very matter-of-fact, blunt, and the outcome is pretty grim. And it's, and it's only, I mean, even Bible scholars and pastors struggle with this because it's only one of three times where God, on the spot, takes someone's life in the entirety of Scripture. Only one of three spots. The other two are both in the Old Testament. All three occurrences are God setting up his people. They're all during the time period where God is establishing a people on earth. And they all three deal with kind of standards God wants to set among his people or expectations he wants to set of how things are going to be done. And all three, from a human perspective, seem completely arbitrary if, it, if, if it's all... If, if it's all the same. From a human perspective, it feels like, why this person at this moment for this reason? Because you could have done that to this person over here. You could, like, so for, from a human perspective, it causes any human to read all three of these passages and go, why? This doesn't make sense. And if you've read the entirety of the Bible and you see this God of love, extravagant love, who goes out of his way to save people, it, it seems to go against God's own character. But, but we have to remember a couple things. We have to remember, one, for God, death is not the end. We see it as the end. We see it as some sort of a final judgment. But actually, for God, it's not. Death is not some sort of final judgment. 
first, the first death, Scripture talks about the second death as being a final judgment, but the first death, meaning just human earthly death, for God is just one more step along the path. It, for us, it's not. It feels like the end. So it seems very harsh for God to kill someone. But in God's mind, it could actually be a useful thing for someone to not, no longer be on the earth in physical form. Think about that. From Jesus, Jesus teaches this truth. He actually tells his disciples, it's better for you that I die and leave this earth because then I'll send the Spirit to you. What his teaching was, I actually need to leave, which for humans, that's what death is for us. Someone leaves us and they never come back. So Jesus' teaching on death was, I actually need to leave for God to do everything he wants to do in your life. I actually need to leave so the Holy Spirit can come. So death is not the end for God. So we have to remember that. This isn't some sort of final judgment that initially it feels like. It feels like God just on the spot killed them out of judgment. What if it was that he actually wanted to take them before they did more harm to themselves and to others? By acting the way they did, by selling this land and getting this money and then pretending like they were giving the full amount, could they have been causing harm to their own selves in doing this, in setting up a pattern in their life that would just do themselves harm, turn them into people that he didn't want, you know, God doesn't want them to be? And could it have done harm to the people of God at such an early stage when the people of God were just forming as the church? Could it have done harm by creating some sort of pattern or trend or just problem that would have created more disruption than needed. So God had his reasons. We don't know what they are. But we do know that death was not the end for God, that this was a way God was doing at least two things. One, proving to the people that were there, and to us today still read this, that God is very serious about his people and about the establishing of his people. And so that's true, not just back in Acts, but for the history of how God's people get set up on earth. There's a seriousness about that task. That we don't just do it lightly, that we do it very seriously. We take God's, God's church, his people, seriously. So we need to handle the money like it's not ours, because it's not. We need to handle people like they're not ours, because they're not. And so there's a seriousness about the task of God establishing his people on earth. And I think that that's important. That's an important lesson to take from this, that, that we would reflect upon how serious it is to be the church, to steward what God has given us well, which are many things. He's given us the gospel, the message of the gospel. We need to steward it well, share it when he calls us to share it. When he gives us resources in our life, we need to steward them well, right? So these are this is an important lesson that God wanted to teach. But the second part of that, that I think the story is trying to teach us, is that there are deeper spiritual realities about who we're supposed to be as people and that we can't hide from those things. That they're going to show up in our lives a lot of the times in the, in the difficult moments of life they're going to show up. Like you think about what we typically call as character flaws. And we've seen a lot in the news about moral failure by pastors in recent years, especially in the last decade. 
And so there's this reality that a lot of the times negatively, the bad, the things that God has not developed in our life that should have been developed will show up in difficult times. But hopefully on the positive side as well. We, we, it's easier to point the negative sometimes, but hopefully on the positive side as well. That there are going to be times when, when traits show up in our life that aren't of us, that God has planted deeply within us, that all of a sudden in a moment of difficulty we'll have peace in a way that doesn't make sense. Like we shouldn't have peace, but because God has so transformed us and developed us inwardly, all of a sudden now we have peace going through this rocky season of life that we, we didn't have previously at previous times in our life and that we can't explain other than I know God's with me. He's given me this peace or joy or all, all of those traits, all of those fruits of the Spirit that, that you could name. Those are things that we long for the Spirit to develop within us so then when we're in those moments where those deeper truths about us need to come out, we hope that it's positive. In this moment, it's negative. Right? We see a shortcoming in Ananias and Sapphira. That we see a lack of integrity and we see a lack of sacrificial giving. Sacrifice. Two things that are that are deep spiritual realities, deep character traits that can only be formed at the deepest levels of who we are by God's work in our life. And they fell short in both of these areas. They, those things had not been developed in them, and it showed up. They had a lack of integrity by lying about the amount of money that they were giving on behalf of God, and then they had a lack of sacrifice, a lack of willingness to sacrifice, because they weren't willing to give it all. They wanted to keep it. Even though they knew, like mentally, they knew they should give it all. That's why they lied. <laughs> they knew they should give it all. They knew that was the right thing to do. That's what God was calling me to do. And yet they withheld because inwardly they weren't willing to sacrifice. They weren't willing to actually make the sacrifice that they knew they needed to make. And so they didn't. And these two ideas of integrity and sacrifice are really perfectly aligned with talking about Father's Day and what not obviously not all fathers live up to, but I think we would all agree the best display of what it means to be a father includes a lot of things, but I, I think integrity and sacrifice are 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 central to all the different things we could talk about what a man in general we, we would want a man to be in the world and what a father especially is to his family and and of course fathers don't always always meet that there's there's failure there's still sin in the world there's still sin in our lives but we long for we long that God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, and the only way he can, would form men to be examples of integrity and sacrifice. And we see it at, at a man's best, especially a father's best. They are. You, think, you can think about examples in our world where a, a father or just a, a, a man in general has given themselves wholly for others. Just a completely sacrificial giving of themselves and when we see it easily in the military and i know more than men just nowadays serve in the military but 
for a long time, only men served in the military, right? And, and the giving of their life, literally, for their country, their family, their community, right? To die, to go to battle and fight in hand-to-hand combat when it used to be that way and die in that sort of a way was not just, you know, you just don't wake up and decide you're going to do that. That takes us a deep sense of sacrificial spirit that ultimately reflects God. That's a deeply spiritual reality, the idea of sacrificial giving. And then integrity. Integrity, the idea that I do what I say I'm going to do, but the idea that I am who I am, whether I'm in public or in private. That's really what integrity is. I am who I am. I'm the same person in private as I am in public. I am consistent. And, and that's a reality that we see Jesus live out, that we see the early disciples and apostles struggle with greatly. But then if you track their life, you see them grow in this. Peter's the best example, and he's the one in this story, right? Of all people, of all the apostles, Peter's the one who confronts Ananias and Sapphira on their denying of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> After Peter denies Jesus right before his crucifixion three times, right? Peter, of all people, had been transformed, had grown. God had developed him into a person of integrity over time. He didn't get it right every time. We know that because we still know he messes up. In one of the letters later that Paul writes, Peter messes up and, he, and he, he sits with only the Jews and Paul confronts him over it and says, you need to quit being you know, divisive. You know God's people are Jews and Gentiles. So we know Peter still doesn't get it right every time, but he certainly grew and became a person of, in, person of integrity through the power of God's work in his life, much more than he was early on. Much more than he was early on. So this story, a very difficult story in the scriptures, reminds us of the power of God, for sure. Reminds us of the power of the Holy Spirit that ultimately God has the right to take someone's life, that the Spirit gave Peter the wisdom to know that they were lying to him. Peter couldn't have just come up with that on his own. That had to come from the Spirit. Certainly it teaches us those kind of things, those, these powerful traits that God sees all things, that God can, can take our life from us, that he has that right as our creator. But it also teaches us this, this spiritual truth of the deeper spiritual realities in our life that, that ultimately we can't hide from. They come out of us. That, that if God will form us in deep ways inwardly, then we will also then be formed outwardly because these things come out of us. And Jesus taught this in his ministry as well, right? That it's not about what you put in your body. It's not about all the rituals of eating the right thing and washing your hands the right way in his interactions with the, I think it was with the Pharisees at one point, they were confronting him on think, I think about that the apostles had not washed their hands like they should have. And he was like, it's not about the outward things that you're doing to your body. It's about the inward things that are being developed within you. Jesus makes the teaching, it's it's what comes out of your body that actually tells you whether you're honoring of God. That it's the things that are within your soul or within your spirit that are deeply formed within you. And as those things come out, that's how you honor God. 
it's not all the washing of hands and the eating of the right things and the, all these rituals. It's about the deep transformation of our hearts. And so this passage in this, as you track the books of, book of Acts, is a crucial, crucial passage because it reminds people God's power is not just about the miraculous like occurrences that happen. People speaking languages they shouldn't know. People getting healed and all of this sort of thing. Those, yes, God's power is about that. But God's power is also about transforming us as people, as individuals, and transforming our character and our hearts. He does a work at a, such a deep level that we can't do any other way. It can't be done any other way. Only God can transform someone's heart and begin to transform your desires, your actual desires. Only God can do that work through the, his word being put into your heart, through you spending time in his presence, and through you gathering with his people consistently over time and talking about, talking about openly the areas where you still need to grow and where you still need God to work in your life to transform you. That's what God's spirit does at, at a consistent everyday level. He wants to use his power to do a spiritual work in our life to transform us from the inside out. And, and this passage displays that in a very maybe shocking way, but displays that for his people. Both at that time, right, it says that, that the entire church was gripped with fear or awe is the word here, not like afraid of God, but in awe of God. It, it caused them to be gripped with fear. It should do the same to us that we should be so in awe of God that we realize how flawed we are and how much we need to be transformed inwardly. It should cause us to take a step back and realize, oh my goodness, I still have a long way to go. I need God to transform me still so much in my life. There's so many things that I still have not developed, so many fruits of the Spirit that still are not showing up. I need God's Spirit to come in and transform me. Come, Holy Spirit, kind of a mentality. And that's what this passage reveals to us. The power of God to transform the deepest parts of who we are. That there are certain spiritual realities that we cannot hide from. They will show up in our lives if we have not been developed in those ways. And so we need, we need the Holy Spirit to come to fill us so that we can be developed so that we can grow into being like Jesus, so that we can grow into the people God always designed us to be, so that when we get into a season of temptation, we're able to actually look that temptation straight on and say, no, I'm going to choose this instead, like Jesus did in the desert. So that when we get into a season of just extreme difficulty, like Jesus in the garden, looking upon what was coming next, we're able to say, this is going to be horrible. I'm not going to like this one bit, but God, your will be done, not mine. That was not an easy thing for Jesus to do, and yet he did. And so we, we long for that kind of spiritual transformation in our lives.